What they cared about was the Jesus of action. That's what spoke to them. This man who was powerful. This man from whom the demons ran. This man who just exuded the power of the Son of God. That's what spoke to them. So here we have this man, Mark, who, to my knowledge, is the only biblical character that had a close bond with both Paul and Peter. I don't know of another who had sort of this mentoring, mentorship relationship with both Paul and Peter. I don't know of another whom both Paul and Peter would say, we want him with us because he's helpful and is useful And he's really a big help for us. So that really speaks a lot of this man, Mark, that both Peter and Paul look upon him as kind of like a child in the faith, as as one whom they are discipling and mentoring. But in addition to that, he's a valuable person for for them to have there with them. So this this Mark, who is there with, um, with Peter, is in Rome, of course, ministering to the church in Rome. And we remember what Peter is now known as. Peter will forever now be known as, of course, the apostle who most visibly and obviously abandoned Jesus. Remember that whole story where Jesus says to Peter, you're all going to abandon me. And Peter says, not me, Lord. Even if I have to die, I will never leave you. And Jesus says, well, actually, Peter, this very night, you'll do it three times. No, not me, never me. And then, of course, we know how the story plays out. And then that was, that was just the lowest moment in Peter's life when he abandoned the Lord. And then we know the story of how Jesus restored Peter at the end of John's gospel there. And Peter never forgot that. He never forgot that he was the one who failed Jesus. And Jesus restored him. So now... Here are Peter and Mark. Both of them are men who have failed Jesus and done it visibly. And both of them are men who have been restored. So Mark is going to write his gospel in Rome. We don't know the exact year. The best guess is probably 63 or 64 AD. Peter was martyred in 64 The fires of Rome break out in July of 64. You know the story where 80% of the city was burned. And then Nero looks around saying, who can I blame for this? Oh, the Christians. Let's tell people the Christians did this. And so then there's this massive outbreak of violent persecution. And that's the time frame that all the stories that you know about, about how Christians would be coated with tar and and hung onto a pole and set on fire to illuminate a garden party, or they'd they'd have animal skins tied to them and have lions set loose on them. All those horrible stories, it was then that it took place. So Peter is in Rome, and in 64, he will be crucified upside down. Mark's gospel is probably written 63, 64, or maybe 65, right around this same time frame. And it's well established that Mark's gospel is essentially the gospel of Peter. 
Mark is writing down Peter's teachings and Peter's experiences and Peter's perspectives. If you want to know Peter's perspective of Jesus, read the Gospel of Mark because that's what the Gospel of Mark is, is Peter's perspective of Jesus and Jesus's life and Peter's perspective of the disciples. Okay, so that'll become important a little bit later on. So here's these two men. Both of them have failed the Lord Jesus spectacularly in ways that everybody saw and everybody knew about, yet both of them have been restored back to ministry, but it gets even better. If we could just skip ahead a little bit, if you want to look ahead with me to Mark chapter 14. Mark chapter 14 comes two verses that are just two of the most insightful and helpful verses that you could easily miss. The context of Mark 14 is the night of Jesus's arrest. And in fact, it's the very circumstance, the very happening of Jesus's arrest. So they're in the garden. It's dark. It's in the middle of the night. And there's all the chaos. Soldiers have shown up and they're here to arrest Jesus. And you remember all sort of the chaos. They're trying to figure out who Jesus is. And Judas has to do the kiss thing. And they, they ask Jesus, who are you? He says, he says, I'm the one that you're seeking. I am. And they fall back. And, and there's all this chaos. Peter chopping off ears and everything. It's, it's just chaos. In the middle of that chaos, here's what we read. Verse 51. And a young man followed him, meaning Jesus, with nothing but a linen cloth about his body. And they seized him, but he left the linen cloth and ran away naked. Have you ever read that and thought, what in the world is that there for? Who is it? The fellow's not even named, and here he is naked. Why is this even here? It's widely agreed that the most likely scenario is that that is Mark. That he wrote himself in here. He put this episode of how he was there at Jesus' arrest. So probably what happened was this. The, the, the Last Supper was in the upper room of Mark's mother's house. And that supper goes on really late, way, late into the night. Probably about 11 o'clock at night or midnight was when Jesus finishes up the foot washing, the, the supper and everything, and they leave to go to the Garden of Gethsemane. Mark who was probably there helping to serve, helping with the meal and everything, he had probably gone, gone ahead and went to sleep. After the meal had sort of wrapped up, he'd probably gone to sleep. But then he sees the apostles and Jesus leaving. So he gets up and grabs something, wraps it around himself to follow. And in the chaos and the fear of Jesus' arrest, somebody grabs Mark and just like Joseph with Potiphar's wife running out of his coat, he runs out of his linen cloth and runs home naked. So I have now forever placed into your mind the visual image of the writer of the second gospel in the words of the great theologian Ray Stevens. He's the streak. Mark is the streak. Why would he put it there though? Because he is showing to us the deep embarrassment and cowardice that was him. 
Isn't that spectacular? That he just takes this moment to say, look at what a coward I was. Look at just how, I mean, how embarrassing is it to run home to mama naked? And it's just as though he's going to say, this was me. Not only did I leave Paul high and dry, I left my linen cloth high and dry to save my skin. So not once, but twice, Mark has failed spectacularly and been restored fully. The gospel of Mark is the gospel of restored failures. It is written through the perspective of two men who knew better than anyone else in the New Testament what it was like to fail with everybody watching and yet have the Lord restore you back to useful ministry. If you've ever felt like that you have failed the Lord, then the Gospel of Mark will speak to you. If you've ever felt like that you have let your your master down, if you've ever felt like that you just didn't live up to the person that you should live up to, then the Gospel of Mark is written for you because it's written by two men who knew how to fail better than you do and who did it with a whole lot more people watching because their failures are immortalized in the pages of Scripture at which thousands and thousands of Christians have read their stories of failure. And not just their stories of failure, but their stories of embarrassing failure. Lord, I'll never deny you, even if the rest of them deny you. And then here's Peter invoking curses on himself. I'll be damned if I know him. And then here's Mark running home naked. Here's Mark who can't go on to Asia Minor. In both cases, the Lord has said there's grace, there's forgiveness, there's restoration. Come back. So if that's ever been you, then stay tuned because Mark's gospel is the gospel of restored failures. The gospel accounts paint this picture of the disciples who sort of from time to time they go from understanding it to not understanding it so much, you know. But if we compare Mark's account to the other gospels, here's what we find. Mark is the hardest on the disciples by far of any of the gospel writers. He is brutally hard on the disciples. He tells it like there is. He paints the picture of the disciples as a bunch of clowns who never understand. Jesus gives teaching. They don't get it. They don't understand it. They're always misunderstanding. And at the head of that, do you know the picture that we're going to see of the Apostle Peter? The picture of the Apostle Peter in Mark's gospel is absolutely the most unflattering picture that the gospels have for us. Everything about Peter's life that might be something to feel good about, let's say 
Uh, what, what, would, what would you think would be the things in Peter's life that, that if you were Peter, you could say, I can kind of feel good about that? Say, for example, uh, the walking on water for a few steps. Remember that? Jesus walks on the water and he comes out there. And then Peter says, Lord, if that's you, then let me come to you. And, and Jesus says, come on. And he takes some steps on the water and then his faith fails and the Lord pulls him up. Right. I mean, that's a pretty good story. If that were you, would you want people to know I had the faith to get out of the boat. I had the faith to take a few steps. Mark's the only gospel that excludes that. In Mark's gospel, Jesus walks to the boat. He gets in the boat. End of story. Or what about Peter's declaration that Jesus is the Christ? Remember Jesus' response? I say you are Peter. And upon this rock, I'll build my church and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. Mark excludes it. Mark has the declaration, you are the Christ. And then it moves on. Do you see what Peter's doing? This is Peter's accounting. Peter, the restored one, says, you know what? I'm going to paint the picture of me that's as ugly as you want. Anything that might be flattering, leave it out. Because I want the people that read this to see what Jesus restored. And then here comes Mark. I'm going to write this in. That time where I ran home like a yellow coward naked because I was too afraid to even stand there while they arrested my master. I had to run home. We will show these people just what it is that God restores. So he's the gospel of restored failures. But let's also kind of look at what I want to call maybe some literary marks of Mark. And there is a pun intended right there. Some literary characteristics of Mark. So Mark's gospel is is often referred to as the first gospel written. Years and years ago, it was considered to be the second gospel. That's why it's the second gospel in in your Bibles, right? Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Well, in the 20th century, opinions began to change about when Mark's gospel was written. Was it the first or was it the second? And even way back in the dark ages when I was in seminary, even then the majority view had shifted to understand Mark's gospel to be the first gospel instead of the second gospel. Now, why do we care? We don't. It doesn't make a hill of beans of a difference which one was written first as pertains to your faith. However, it does make a difference in this way. So what is the reason that scholars, biblical scholars, have now decided, well, Mark's gospel really was the first one written? There's only one reason. There's no literary evidence. There's no manuscript evidence. The only reason that scholarly opinion has now shifted to place Mark's gospel as the first gospel is because of its brevity and its simplicity. And so scholars say Mark is so short and there's all these things that aren't there, you know, the Sermon on the Mount, Lord's Prayer, all these different things. So what must have happened was Mark wrote down his account and then along came Matthew, took Mark's stuff and added some more to it. Along came Luke, took Mark's and Matthew's stuff and added some more to it. And that's how we got what we got. And that's that's the whole sum of it. That's how scholarly opinion has changed to now view Mark's gospel as the first gospel and not the second gospel. 
you would be, I don't think you could do this. If I challenged you to go home and find a scholarly commentary that took the view that Mark was the second gospel, I don't think you could find it because I don't think there are anymore because it's become essentially unanimous that Mark's gospel was first. Again, why do we care? Well, for one, one problem with that is that that would contradict all of the early church evidence. Every early church father, everyone considered Matthew's gospel to be written first. All those guys, you know, the guys that were maybe 50 years after the the original writing, they all understood Matthew's gospel written first. But again, we really don't care who was written first. Here's what we care about. Mark's gospel is considered to be the first one because it's so basic and rudimentary and leaves out a lot of things. However, I'm going to suggest to you Mark's gospel, just like the early church fathers believed, was written second, but it's short and compact and leaves out material for a reason. And so that's going to be what the position I'll take. Mark's gospel was indeed the second, like the early church fathers believed. And it's shorter, it's briefer, it moves along much faster because that's what Mark, inspired by the Holy Spirit, was led to do. And there's reasons behind that. So let's take a look at why that might be. So if we were to think about Mark's gospel, we could describe it as compact, energetic, and vivid. Compact, energetic, and vivid. Mark's gospel moves at the speed of of light. The the word immediately, euthus in, in the Greek, shows up 42 times. The rest of the New Testament put together shows up 12 times. So over and over and over, Mark's going to say immediately, immediately, or the King James has straight away, straight away, immediately, immediately, immediately. Mark's gospel is just moving at the speed of light. So many of the sentences start with the word and. Just take a, I'll just start from chapter 1, verse verse 12. The Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan, and he was with the wild animals and the angels were ministering to him. And then, uh, well, verse 16, passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little farther, and it goes on for that, uh, in that way for 16 chapters. So Mark is writing, he's moving the story along as fast as he can move it along. And oftentimes... There are things that Mark will will omit. He will leave out. And there's reasons for that. And here's what I'm going to suggest. Mark, like all the biblical writers, knows his audience. And he's writing to his audience. His audience are Roman Christians. Roman Christians. We've talked about the Roman culture before. And we've talked about what's important to the Roman culture. The Roman culture could give a fig about philosophical writings like Socrates and Aristotle. Right? That was the Greek world. They could give a fig about that. The Romans could give a fig about genealogies and who begat who and who begat who and who begat who. That was the Hebrew world. You know what the Romans cared about? They cared about power and action and organization. That's what was important to the Romans. Who was most powerful? Who could defeat the biggest army? Who had the best government organized? That's what they cared, they, they cared about. And so Mark is under a mission here to illustrate Jesus as a man of action, as a man who knows where he's going, 
as a man who's moving this story along at the speed of light. That's what he's trying to portray to the Romans. He's writing to them. Remember the the four Gospels, the four perspectives? He's writing to a group of people who, quite frankly, would not appreciate a long genealogy. They would say, who cares? Because the Roman Caesar was not a hereditary line. They didn't care who was Julius Caesar's father and who was his father and his grandfather and his grandfather. That's not what interested them. Nor did they care about the philosophical arguments that John presents or the parables so much. Instead, what they cared about was the Jesus of action. That's what spoke to them. This man who was powerful, this man from whom the demons ran, this man who touched lepers and they were cleansed, this man who just exuded the power of the Son of God. That's what spoke to them. And so that's what Mark is focused upon giving to the Romans. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Truth That Transforms with pastor and Bible teacher Jason Wilkerson. Truth That Transforms is the daily teaching broadcast of Disciples Fellowship Church. We invite you to visit our website where you will find more resources to help in your journey of discipleship. You can find us at www.disciplesfellowshipnc.com or connect with our Facebook page at Facebook slash Disciples Fellowship NC. Truth That Transforms exists to glorify Jesus Christ through the teaching of His sanctifying and disciple-making Word.